Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. March is in the middle of its madness on the college basketball side of things. Some thrilling games already in the conference tournaments. We haven't even gotten to the NCAA tournament yet, nor found out the final 68 teams. So college basketball ramps up. The NFL continues to circle its wagons as another quarterback is signed for quite the amount of money. We'll get into that. The NBA enjoyed its well-deserved break for its all-star game and other contests and comes back to the court as well. Staying on the court, diving into what has happened thus far in the conference tournaments. We're a day late in recording this. You might think it's because as a Duke fan, I might have been privy to some information that was released on Thursday about what happened amongst the team which was a positive coronavirus test causing them to have to bow out of the ACC tournament and in turn have to then bow out of the NCAA tournament should they end up making it, which the odds are incredibly not in their favor for that because they needed these tournament games to have a shot. They were to play Florida State on Thursday night, a must-win game, if you will, to advance to the semis either against North Carolina or Virginia Tech. And unfortunately, All that came to a screeching halt because of one positive test going to show that we're still not out of the woods yet with this a year since Rudy Gobert and the NBA shut things down and a day removed from when college sports will do the same the following day. We're still in the midst of this thing and it still goes to show that we have to keep our fingers crossed that once the tournament comes, These teams are able to follow the correct procedures and somehow make it through so that whoever does win the national championship won't be met with talks of asterisks and italicized seasons and not official champions and the title is tainted. We don't need any of that. Let's just get to the finish line. But for Duke, really being the first major program to be hit by this at the worst time knocking them out of the tournament that they desperately needed. Not a great team, not a a shame that this happened as far as them being one of the top teams in the tournament. So the blow wasn't as bad because they were fighting for their tournament lives, but it's still a shame that this happened. And for me as a Duke fan, it was quite disappointing to hear that news in the morning to know that's it. Unfortunately, you didn't lose your season on the court, but it happened off of it. Okay. Let's take a breath. Let's remember that uh, there are the Duke fans and there are the rest of the world who isn't. The last thing anybody wanted to see was Duke season end this way for those kids. But the second last thing anybody wanted to see that, that happen is for Duke to suck out with another win or two and steal the way into the tournament because they're Duke. So we feel bad for the kids. We feel bad for the supporters of the kids and the families of the kids, but that's about it. All we care about is everybody's okay. That's the most important thing to say. They're not a very good team. They're not even a good team. And this comes from a Syracuse alum who will tell you that my team is a barely good team and you smoked us the other night. So Duke's where they belong, not as a result of what happened on the court, as a result of what happened because of the virus, uh, but they had a miserable season they were a not barely a mediocre team. And the only way they were going to win this or get into this tournament, in my mind, was to win the ACC tournament. But, you know, as luck would have it, they probably would have stole a win somewhere else and gotten their way into the tournament. Because Kentucky's out. 
with a loss today. They're done. So it wouldn't have surprised me if the committee would have bent over backwards to find a way to get Duke uh, a berth, even if it was in the first four. Just get him in. And the silver lining for me is that with Duke out, they can't steal a bit from Syracuse, my alma mater, who is Jim Bayheim has become basically the modern day in the last 10 years, Mr. Bubble, doesn't leave a bathtub ring. We're on it every year. It's ironic that it's bubblicious. We're playing in a bubble. And that's where Syracuse is once again. They get a win yesterday against North Carolina State. They're back not only from last four out, but next four out. They jump into last four in with the win against NC State. They play Virginia today, the one seed at noon. They play one of their best games of the year. The only time they ever beat Virginia was the miraculous win at the tournament a few years ago to go to the Final Four, which win will go down in infamy as one of the great Syracuse wins of all time. And they've gotten smoked by Virginia ever since. Well, today they played terrific by their own standards. They played one of their best games of the year, led the whole game, lost the lead in the second half. Coach's son, Buddy Bam, had a great game. Tied down the stretch, down four, back to tie it. And a kid that hasn't made a bucket the entire game puts up a three at the gun. Nothing but net. 79-76. Virginia, Syracuse now firmly on the bubble. Was one win and a really good effort today. Losing at the gun to the one seed in the ACC. Good enough. Joel Lenardi will tell us shortly when you go into bracketology. But heartbreaker for my squad, heartbreaker for me, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. The most important thing is they're playing. Everyone's playing, except Duke, I might add. Uh, And we're going to have a tournament. As you mentioned earlier, we don't want, with the fancy word, by the way, italicized, that's the new report, not the old report. Words way, way too big for me. Whoever the winner is, we want them to be a legitimate winner. We don't want them to steal wins. We don't want opponents being vanquished because of the fact that they had to forfeit a game, which will be the case. I believe no matter where you are, if you cannot play, you are done. But remember, you only have to field five. So if you can find a way to field five, you can play. But it makes it all the more interesting because not only has it been a season that has been cut short in a way with a number of games uh, because we've had games canceled. We've had games aborted. We've had games not made up. We've had players lost to the virus. We've had players back from the virus. We've had players who've given up the season to the virus. And now here we are going through what we're used to going through with this time of year. I love the tournaments. I'm one of the few guys out there who wants the tournaments. I love the conference. I love watching games four and five a day, coming home late at night and watching the Big West and watching the Mountain West and watching the Big Sky and watching teams that I've never got a chance really to watch much all year long play for their tournament life, play with their life on the line. As I said before, these are kids who are playing regardless of the circumstance with the one and done, regardless of college basketball not being the way you or I grew up with it to be in terms of the competitiveness of the conference tournaments and the number of teams that can win it and the superstars, you know, going to the same squads all the time. We have a spread of talent and we have teams playing for their collective lives and their careers and guys who are playing knowing that this could be the last game they ever play, not just for their school, but period. Because such a small percentage of them go on to the next level. Only 12 guys slash 15 per team in the NBA. There's only 30 of them. Do the math. It's that or go abroad. So you have guys playing literally to do anything and everything they can to keep playing. As I like to say, walk through hell in a gasoline suit to keep playing. And that's the way these kids play. That's why I love these conference tournaments so much because they are so thrilled just to get into the big tournament what it means for their school and their opportunity to play in it and their opportunity to say, I played in it, 
which is still incredibly cool, regardless of how many people want to rip the college game to shreds, which I still love. Is it what it used to be? Absolutely not. And this year is far, far, far from what we're used to seeing. I've said to you numerous times on this program, and anyone who will listen, this is far and away the sport that has lost the most luster. Because although I thought it would be college football, because college, college football is still once a week, you still have that passion that you look forward to that once a week. Even without the fans, the game means everything. Whereas college basketball, you know, two, three, four times a week, no fans in the stands, they look like glorified scrimmages. When one game doesn't mean so much when it does in college basketball. But now we're here where one game does mean so much, where one game means everything, where one game means play again, do or die, never stop trying, never give up, never quit. And that's what we've always loved about college basketball and this time of year. So even though we don't have the fans, this is more of a setting that we are used to seeing and excited about seeing. And I hope it carries out through the conference tournaments as we get closer to the conference tournament finals, Selection Sunday. And I sure as hell hope it carries on to the big tournament, which, of course, will be in the bubble. The biggest question for me is, will Syracuse find a way? And we're missed, will the real Mr. Bubble get himself into yet one more tournament as he winds down his great coaching career at Syracuse? Normalcy would be too strong of a word for what we've seen so far in these conference tournaments. But overall, I would say that, at least for me, it's been ahead of where I thought it would be to this point. Absolutely. I mean, for one, we have basketball games being played. Let's just start there. These tournaments have gone on as planned. And aside from Duke, and potentially a couple schools from conferences I don't follow much that have had similar plights happen that I can't think of off the top of their head. For the most part, the games have gone on as planned. And it's ironic that it's happened to our squads. Yeah. Happened to your Duke team. Happened to Syracuse early in the early slash middle of the year with COVID outbreaks for both them and opponents. Happened to my Cardinals during the shortened baseball season happened to my Ravens during the football season. So all over the map. And if it happened to your Denver Broncos, it didn't matter because they sucked. But the point is, you know, teams that we root for personally and or a school that I went to and love dearly uh, have all been subjected to uh, players with the virus opponents with the virus outbreaks that cost them playing games that probably cost them winning games, you know, playing with shortened, you know, shortened uh, teams in terms of availability, because you in the NFL, you played uh, and you played without players. Uh, and, you know, in MLB, you know, remember what happened to the Cardinals where they had to play, you know, 21 games in three days with a rash of double headers. So even though yes, seven innings can help a shortened pitching staff or attacks pitching staff, you still got to play all those games. So it's still harder to win those games in a stretch of a short time frame versus splitting all those double headers. So uh, the bottom line and most important thing is that all of the players, pro or college, have come out of this pretty much healthy. Uh, we haven't lost anybody uh, as we've lost over 525,000 Americans to this dreadful virus, but we haven't lost any players. Uh, and everybody has pretty much gotten themselves back on the court uh, or on the playing field for the most part without any serious debilitating damage. And that's really the most important thing. Lest we forget the Denver Broncos starting practice squad star wide receiver Kendall Hinton at quarterback at some point during the regular season because of all of their quarterbacks having contact tracing happen from watching film without masks on. But as you mentioned, they were so bad it didn't make a difference. We'll long be forgotten about in the grand scheme of things if you're not a Denver Broncos fan. The good part or the optimistic part about the tournament or one of the several things that will be optimistic is we saw some of it so far in, in the majority of the conferences not necessarily having these strict bubbles, but having teams stay in one location. The interesting thing for Duke 
whether or not this becomes the reasoning for the positive test and what happened to their team is they were traveling back to Durham after their tournament games, making the bus ride back and forth each time, whereas everybody else was staying at the same hotel. Now, Duke has stayed at the same hotel there for the entire season. So Coach K's reasoning was let's keep this routine going and, and kind of just pretend everything is of normal and we've done this all year. Let's keep doing it. And maybe that'll be something that can be a normalcy for us in this tournament. Now, whether or not that's the reason that this happened, we don't know. We might never know. But for the NCAA tournament, the plan is to bubble these teams as best as possible, so much so that they're not going to be able to leave the hotel. It'll be even worse than the bubble in Orlando. You want to go for a walk. You want to go get a coffee. You want to stroll around the lobby area and maybe hop outside for 10 seconds like the floor is lava, come back in. Can't leave the place. You can only leave to go to and from the game. That's how they're going to try to bubble this situation. Now, if you're winning basketball games, we know the tournament is hopefully is a three plus weeks for certain teams if they're doing the best that they can and trying to win the whole damn thing. That is a long time to be just subjected to your hotel room. And it goes to show once more, just another bullet point of how difficult this season has to be for these college players. And people say, ah, they're getting on the court. Everything's fine. They at least get to play the game. Understood. But it's not the best of circumstances because in normal seasons, this is one of the funnest times of the year to be able to be in this tournament, travel to these big cities, get the pomp and circumstance, the red carpet, that's going to be but missed. It's going to be, keep it, you know, let's keep the in mind, though, let's keep in mind that all after the first weekend, there's only 16 teams left. Yeah, that is true. So too. it's not like we're talking about, you know, 68, 64, 32 locked up a week, two weeks. We're talking about a weekend. 16 teams, okay, are gone in a heartbeat. And then another 16 are gone. All right. Then another, so you're down to 16 teams after one weekend. So it's not like this giant group is locked up for this extended period of time forever. Uh, it, it's a quick trip. It's a weekend stay for half the group. And then, you know, look, you, you want to play? You got to pay the price. Same way everybody else did. But they did it for seasons. They did it for months. They were down in the bubble in the NBA for an extended period of time. The end of the regular season and the entire postseason. Much more, much more lengthy time frame. And those were grown men. These are kids. Get the video games out. Watch some film. Right? Schmooze. Whatever the case may be. Play Nerf basketball in your room. They will survive. They will be fine. Uh, it makes it obviously far more interesting without the sights, without the travel, um, without the fans that we're used to seeing. There'll be some fans at least. There'll be some. And I'll tell you, we for have, at least our have, tournament at the ACC, the, the fans that have traveled to Greensboro and for some of the other conference tournament games, even just having a smattering of fans it brings a little bit more to the game. Oh, of course, anything is, anything is better than nothing. It, Brings some life, you know. It brings something for the kids to play in front of somebody. You hear some noise, you know. Even in the NFL, the guy said, you know, seventy five hundred sounded like seventy five thousand. It's just great to hear fans in the stands again, because you know you listen to the baseball players, all the preseason interviews in the Grapefruit League when they do the uh, the one on ones and they do the uh, the breakdowns of the teams. One of the things that all the players talked about is it's going to be so great to have the fans back, you know. Everybody, a lot of fans think the players don't care about the fans. Maybe they don't care about you, but they'd rather play in front of you. They'd much rather play for an audience because you know, to do what you. you do, to do what you do, part of what you do is wanting to play in front of people. Part of what you do is, you know, is wanting to show off, you know, to strut your stuff, to play in front of an audience. And obviously when that audience is rolling and you're on fire, it gets you all the more pumped up. So, you know, it's nice to hear players talk about the fact they can't wait to play in front of fans again. I click the bracketology tab on ESPN's college basketball page. This is what 
it currently says regarding on the bubble. Now, whether or not this is up to the second updated, that's to be seen. Get to account the North Carolina 81-73 over Virginia Tech. The Carolina team that Syracuse just knocked off. That's a very good question. Right, one game before, one, second last game of the regular season, as well as the Virginia Tech team that they also beat earlier in the season. This is going to change before we hit the end record button. But this is what it says currently for the on the bubble. Joe Lenardi, of course. Last four buys, Michigan State, VCU, Georgia Tech, and Louisville. The last four in, Drake, Boise State, Colorado State, and your Syracuse Orange. Last four out, Utah State, St. Louis, Xavier, Memphis, and the next four out, Ole Miss, Duke, Seton Hall, and St. John's. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Folks, we talked a lot about Gonzaga. Again, they're the only undefeated team in the nation. They're number one. Uh, They are the first team to go into the tournament undefeated since, let's see, who was the most recent? What it was? Was it Kentucky? Yep, that's the Kentucky team. Speaking of the right, game. it was Kentucky, and prior it was Kentucky, and before that, it was Miami Dolphins. No, very oh. funny. No, before that, it was Wichita State, who got hosed and lost in the second round when they got the terrible matchup. Memory serves me, like They drew Kentucky in the second round and lost in, I believe, in overtime when they were undefeated. And before that, let's see, I think there will be four teams to go undefeated in the regular season in their conference tournament, going to the tournament undefeated since the Indiana, legendary Indiana team. The next one was Indiana State with Larry Bird, which, of course, lost in the championship game to Magic Johnson, the most watched NCAA basketball game in history. And I'm leaving some – oh, UNLV, uh, as defending champs, uh, was undefeated, obviously, and they were upset by Duke in the Final Four. That legendary – after the prior year when they absolutely demolished Duke in the finals, and Bobby Hurley had dreams of seeing the Sharks, the nightmares of the Sharks, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think I'm leaving anybody. I believe it's four since Indiana. Indiana State, Vegas, Wichita State, Kentucky. They're the fifth team that has gone into the tournament undefeated since Indiana. So the the real question I have on this for you is if they pull this off, which would be incredible, and run – the gamut and go undefeated for the entire season. Considering the fact that it is a somewhat abbreviated season, do you, I'm not saying as good as the legendary Indiana team, but and when you talk about it, are you going to say, not an asterisk, because as we know, 2020 was the year of the asterisk, not 2021. T-shirts still being worked on in production. But will you say, yeah, but, or will you just roll on and say, amazing accomplishment, first team since Bobby Knight's legendary, some call it the greatest team of all time. Sports Illustrated just had their poll, or their, was it Sports Illustrated? Just had their list where they rattled off, you know, the, the top thousand basketball teams, basketball teams of all time. I'm being facetious about the number. Um, But the point is, many call that 75-76 undefeated Indiana team, Quinn Buckner, uh, Bobby Wilkerson, Tom Abernathy, the great Scott May, and Kent Benson, the greatest college team of all time. I'm not going to say we'll call Gonzaga that, but will you put this undefeated regular and postseason right there with them in terms of the accomplishment and not say, yeah, but when you talk about Gonzaga's accomplishment. No, I'll definitely be a yeah, but (laughs) that's just the way I feel about Gonzaga. I love busting on them. 
I love poking fun at them. I love when the critics say this is their year, watch out for, and then they fall short time after time. As I've said on this show before, my lasting memory of Gonzaga is Adam Morrison on the floor in tears. (laughs) Seems like just yesterday, even though it's probably what now, a couple decades old since that game, 2008, maybe something. It's been a long time. I mean, did, did he win player of the year over JJ Redick? Is that why there's the anger? Yeah, well, they they were the one and two, and people tended to favor him because he wasn't J.J. Redick, understandably so. His little right. mustache, his long hair. Hey, two-time NBA champion, though, Adam Morrison, folks. You watch your mouth when you talk about him. He was a great Los Angeles Laker bench player for those couple seasons. Fantastic bench, bench player. Bench, indeed. I mean, the things he probably did on the practice squad are tales of of infamy. We'll just, we'll have to have some guests on to maybe tell them someday. It would take a lot for me to give them that high of credit. As far as maybe their performances are concerned, if they're going out wiping the floor with every team that they play in a year like this, I mean, you have to tip your cap to that if that's the case. But if we're in close games back and forth, maybe a buzzer beater or a down the stretch follow game for a couple of them, I think it will matter on who they beat and how they beat them in order to put them into the upper echelon of all-time great teams, which maybe is unfair to them, but it just comes with their conference, where they play, who they play, when they play, and who's on the team. A lot of people just don't get introduced to Gonzaga till their conference tournament comes around maybe. And then they're introduced to them in the NCAA tournament for the first time as well. So it would take, it would take a lot for me, unfortunately, some of that is bias and some of that is just a situation. It's hard for those reasons. They're on the West coast. They're playing in not a conference. A lot of people are familiar with. They try and schedule and play everybody. Uh, Their Baylor game, obviously did not make it this year because of the pandemic. They were scheduled to play Baylor. And you just don't get a chance to see enough of them in premier games. Then you throw in what happened this year with the pandemic and the lack of attention to college basketball in general. And by the time you're ready to tune them in, you know, for a lot of people, it's the first time you've seen them all year. So the, the recognition factor of the players is not there. The recognition factor of the players is so limited in this day and age in college basketball versus the way it used to be. That's a huge factor. But you throw in the fact that it's, you know, on the West Coast in games that nobody here ever sees for the most part. And then you have even more of a reason to say, who the hell are these guys? I can't identify with them. Uh, you know, can they be that good? They haven't played anybody. And are these the same guys? They were in the same place, you know, five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, two years ago. They did lose in the finals. They did. We in, we should let people remember that. They did. They, they lost in the finals in a great game, tie game. Yeah. With a minute to go to, you know, uh, you know, a, another terrific uh, North Carolina team that, you know, Roy Williams almost spit the bit with again. Roy rolled the balls out Williams. I said to you know, our, our close friend, our biggest fan, John Birch, you know, when he talks about Roy Williams, tough for me to call him overrated when he's got three titles. And my answer is never built a thing, took over in Kansas and then Carolina and didn't have to rebuild a thing, took over juggernaut programs and has basically rolled the balls out there for the last 106 years. That's why he's the fastest to 900 wins. That's, that's not a bad way to look at it. But. He has uh, won his three national titles. This Carolina team, after they lost, second loss game of the year against Syracuse, is playing very well right now. They're big. They're physical. They can rebound. And I wouldn't put it past them winning the ACC tournament and you know, getting as high as a four or five seed if they bat out in this NCAA tournament. Because once you get on a roll, you know the tournament loves to jump you up when you're hot. Well, how about this for the Seems ACC to- tournament? 17 times in 68 of them have the top four seeds advanced to the semifinals. Like what's happened this year in the last 25 years, it's only happened four times, 2002, 2008, 2016 and 2019. 
the last time we had. Well, maybe this will be the trend. Last time we had normal basketball, we had it. Now we're having it again this year. So maybe it'll be the trend for the next couple of years. The thing for Gonzaga, too, that they miss is having last season to make that, I don't want to say historic run, but to make the run where you get the recognition from the casual college basketball fan so that when this year comes along, most of the kids are back and you remember them, similar to what happened with Butler when Howard and his crew made those two runs to the final four in the championship games. You remember them the next year round. Like, wow, they're all coming but, back next year. Let's see what they can do. Gonzaga would have but had remember, but, re, but keep in mind, folks, and obviously based on what we said, most of our listeners probably don't know. There's no disrespect intended. Uh, most of you have probably never even seen arguably their best player, arguably, which is their freshman point guard, who this may be his last college basketball that he'll ever play. It's true. Uh, there's, there's a good chance that he's going right to the pros. He's a wonderful player, plays with great passion, great control, and you know he just may be what they've been missing all these years. Because what I've thought all these years with Gonzaga is they, yeah, they've had a good point guard, a decent point guard, whether it was a senior, whether it was a veteran, but they haven't had the kind of point guard that you look at them and say, this guy's going to be a hell of a pro. This guy's a hell of a player. This guy really controls the game. And when you watch this kid play, he has the ability to take games over. And we always talk about guard play in the postseason. He may be, even only as a freshman, the best point guard they've had uh, ever. I'm not counting John Stockman. In, in terms of you know, the point guards that we know of the Gonzaga program, um, he is uh, a, a wonderfully versatile player as a playmaker, as a shooter, as a scorer, as a defender. And as a team leader, plays with great heart, plays with great, plays with great passion, and um, I, I just have the feeling this year, and it's got nothing to do with the pandemic. It's got to do with the fact that they've been there, they've made the trip, the coach has been in the, the hot lights. You know, he lost the heartbreaker a couple years ago, and this team has got three, four offensive options, all of which can be their leading score and, and, and score in the twenties. Uh, high 20s, low 30s to win games. But they've got size. They've got athleticism. They can shoot the three. And they had a scare. They had their scare against BYU, who was the last team to beat them in the regular season. And, you know, down 12 at the half. And they came in with BYU to 25 points in the second half. And uh, I don't say blew them out, but won by 12, won by 12 uh, for the conference championship and to keep the perfect season alive. So would I take them against the field? Not sure, but I've got them as the odds on favorite to win this tournament. It's hard not to agree with that. One of the staples usually in making a successful run in the NCAA tournament is having some older players as much as the one and dones and the star freshmen have taken the sport over having those one or two leaders and older presences is usually what gets you over the top. Duke had that happen in 2015 with Quinn cook leading his three walk on freshmen, one and dones to the championship. When you can get a freshman point guard to have that similar mindset already, like Gonzaga already has, they're just writing the script the same way we said the Green Bay Packers were writing the script to get to the Super Bowl. It'd be very disappointing to not at least see them get to the national championship based on what they did this season. Unfortunately for them, that's how it is. Championship now, game or jump, bust. Be, before we jump to the NFL. Oh, were you going to give Roy Williams credit for going to third all-time with wins at 903? No. Bobby? Okay. No. Before we do that. I want to make sure. On a personal note, since we're in the, leaving the subject college sport, my son was tested today. Knock on wood. Good luck to everyone in the Division Three Manhattanville Valiants baseball program. Hoping for negative test results for all because they are scheduled to open their season this Saturday with a doubleheader and a Sunday doubleheader at Purchase College here in Westchester. 
Uh, my son plays for a nice little Division three program, great school, and they lost their season about 10 games in last year. So hopefully their conference-only schedule this year of 24 games will kick off Saturday with a doubleheader followed by Sunday, doubleheader as well. And that's as far as I'll go with the personal notes. But good luck to the Manhattan Valiant or the Manhattanville Valiants. Let's get negative tests and let's get on the field on Saturday. Well, especially if they keep this weather up. 70 degrees today up here in New York area. Woo! In March. Still still some snow. Still some There's snow. Still some snow on the ground, believe it or not. For that's, the massive storms that we've had. That's but, high school baseball on the East Coast, folks. You're in long sleeves till about May, but there's three or four games in between there where it's a sweltering 80 or so degrees in April before you have to go back to the long sleeves. It's great. Before it's before it's 42 degrees, <laughs> windy. For the district championship of, game in May. Some rain. May 28th, 40 degrees seats. and rain. What are we doing? Yeah. Why yeah. can't we get a Playing those sectional games. Uh, Absolutely. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. To everyone's favorite sport on our program. Nobody circles the wagons quite like the National Football League. We teased it last week that no question some news would break that would carry our show for weeks to come. And for this week, we have the Dallas Cowboys, America's team signing their quarterback. I put there in italics and bold because they, it appears at least for now are putting their money where their mouth is with one Dak Prescott as their quarterback, at least for the next four years. The numbers on this deal were eye-popping. When you take a step back and go through the math a little bit, they don't become as eye-popping. But $160 million for four years, including $126 million guaranteed, that number there, ladies and gentlemen, Sam Bradford money, if you want to get down to the X's and O's. That's what that man made in the National Football League. Dak only needs four years to do it. The deal's technically for six years, but voids to four to help Dallas with the salary cap. So it can be worth up to $164 million. He's got a signing bonus at $66 million, the highest in NFL history with a record $75 million due in year one. The first three years of the deal averaged $42 million per year. Oh, my goodness. At least on paper. That's what my first thought was. Oh my goodness. Jerry Jones is buying into Dak Prescott. Who'd have thought things have a way of coming around. As I like to say, and this was something that was due to happen because it's his time. It's his turn. I don't want to hear about, you know, well, he's not a, he hasn't won any Super Bowls. He's not a top five quarterback. What was Kirk cousins? How much money Kirk cousins make? It's just, how, how, how much money? Did Carson Wentz make? How much money did the then Los Angeles Ram and now Detroit Lion quarterback? How many Super Bowls have those guys won collectively? Same amount that I have. When it's your turn and you're in your prime, you get paid. He didn't become a free agent. He was franchised. And now it was either franchise him again He's in his prime. Yes, he's coming off an ankle injury. Is he a great quarterback? Not yet. Is he a really good quarterback? I think he's a really good quarterback. I think he's a fringe top 10 quarterback. That's really good. Top five is very good. And then you've got great. He's not great. Does he have a chance to be great? I doubt it. I think he's got a chance to be very good. Could he be Russell Wilson? Maybe. Maybe. He might get there. I don't think he's that good. But he might be. It's his turn. 
oh, well, the pressure now, he's got to play. Wait a second. He's the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. And I don't care what anybody says about, you know, well, you know, they're not America's team anymore. I wasn't listening to them. They're the Dallas Cowboys. However you want to slice it, they're still the most famous team in America when it comes to the National Football League. Yeah, the New England Patriots got the rings. Yeah, the New England Patriots have stolen the thunder from a championship point of view. But in terms of cachet, in terms of bang for your buck, it's the Yankees, it's the Lakers, and it's the Dallas Cowboys. They're the team that wears the star. They're the team that's owned by Jerry Jones. They're the team that's in the headlines. They're the team that knows how to throw press conferences when they sign somebody. They're the team that's in the news. They're the team that everybody talks about. You love them or you hate them. Are Dallas fans as obnoxious as they used to be? No. Why? Because they're not that good. We thought they were really obnoxious when they were really good. They've been pretty good. They've been okay. They've been playoff deck, losing to Aaron Rodgers. They've been no D Dallas. They've been no doomsday Dallas. They've been decked, thrown for 495 yards and losing. They've been a defense that couldn't stop a strong win against teams that were, how did they score 48 points when they were playing the Cowboys, the Colts, the Browns, Ravens, embarrassed Embarrassed Look, They would look like they were playing against a seven-man defense. So now you have to pull all the draft into the defense. Because, you know, you've got an offense that makes 95% of the salary cap and a defense that makes 5%. You must draft defense. But the point is, he has played quarterback under the bright lights and under the pressure of being the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Since his rookie year, as a fourth-round draft pick, correct me if I'm wrong, fourth round, out of Mississippi State, where I thought he was a pretty good quarterback, not a great college quarterback. And he's pretty much the same thing in the pros. He's a pretty good quarterback. He's in the top third of quarterbacks at the very fringe in my mind. He's a, he's a top 10 at the very end of the top 10. I went through them in my mind. He's right around the 10 spot, depending on where you want to put the new Los Angeles Ram quarterback. Depending on where you want to put the Tennessee Titans quarterback. And now it's his turn to get paid, just like they did. But because it's his turn, and it's a couple of years later, and he's in his prime, as they were, physically, athletically, he gets more money than everybody, except, thought by many, the best quarterback, who wasn't very good in two Super Bowls. Patrick Mahomes making $45 million. And he gets it for four years when he can be a free agent at the age of 29 or 30, depending upon when it hits. But still, with plenty of years left to play. But he has been a good soldier. He's been a terrific leader. He's been a great team guy. He hasn't caused any problems. He hasn't bitched. He hasn't moaned. And did he get, it, did he get overpaid? Probably some. Because he's making the second most money uh, of any player in the NFL, and he's not the second best quarterback. But you know how much, how far behind is he, the second or third best quarterback? He's behind them. But how big is the difference between five and ten? Is it that much? One guy can be five, and the next day he can be nine. One guy could be four, the next day he could be seven or eight. Deshaun Watson's better than him. How much better? How much better? It's better. They won four games with the great Deshaun Watson. Four fucking games. How great can he be? Four fucking games they won. Four. You play 16, not 10. They go four and six, they went four and 12. Dak Prescott's win record is, I don't want to say it's brilliant, but his winning percentage is excellent as starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. So your reward 
the excellence with the hope of even bigger and better things. That division is theirs for the taking. Once you win the division, you're in the hunt for the Super Bowl in the NFC. Right. How about that? It's as simple as that. Simple as that. And they got a ton of weapons. So draft defense and go get him back. I like him. And remember, I have no allegiance to the Cowboys. I grew up despising the Cowboys. I don't despise them anymore. I just really couldn't care less. I don't have the great negative feeling, never a positive feeling, but he's a good guy. He's a good kid. The older you get, as the old report, the older you get, the more you take a liking, even if they're on teams you don't care about or don't even like at times, for good guys. Because the, the longer you go in life, you realize that there are so many fucking assholes out there in all walks of life. When you see a kid who plays hard, keeps his nose clean, does all the right things by the organization, and is good. And carries himself the right way as the flagship for that organization versus the dumbass running back they got who makes a horse's ass out of himself, you know, once a season minimum. You like to see that guy get rewarded. He may never win a Super Bowl, but I'm okay with this money for this kid. Hey, it's not my money, but more importantly, it's his time. It's his turn. That's right. This, for America's team, is the Hollywood script that they should have for their quarterback. And you mentioned a lot of the points that back that up. This is the guy that came into the league, a Dallas Cowboy. He was a Dallas Cowboy fan. He's done incredibly well under the circumstances. Not just on the Cowboys, but throughout the league fringe top 10 quarterback say what you will but who else are you going to get so the only other options to me would have been Russell Wilson as you say a little bit better Sean Watson as you say a little bit better but what is that really going to get you if you sacrifice whatever you need to to make that happen and get those two other guys is that really going to be what changes things I joke with my Cowboys friend, Eddie, we're shooting out our friend's names, might as well, that nothing good will ever come to his Dallas Cowboys while Jerry Jones continues to make the moves and press the buttons. Nothing good has come to them since 1995. And he has all the power still. He makes all the decisions. My joke to him is while he does that, they just won't find success because whatever deal he had to make with the devil and selling his soul for those couple championships with Jimmy Johnson, that was it. <laughs> Once he did that, he was bound for nothing for the rest of the time he'll be owning the Dallas Cowboys, or at least pushing the buttons, not just sitting in the press box with the cash and the checkbook. But this is your guy now, and he was your guy before this. Now this should be such a weight off your shoulders. To know that the franchise is backing Dak Prescott. Now, granted, when he turns 31 years old, he could get out of this deal or re-sign. That's three, four years from now. Is a tremendous point that I haven't heard anyone on any talk show mention. Mention. All they've talked about is more pressure now on Dak. More pressure on the franchise. Bring in the defense. Pressure on the coach. Pressure on Dan Quinn, the new defensive coordinator. I agree with you. I think the pressure has been lifted. This is over now. It is done with. The shadow of what's going to happen. What are we going to do next year? Quarterback. Is it going to be him? Are we going to trade him? Are we going to franchise him? That's gone now. You're set. It's over. It's done with. You're building around him. It's done. It's history. A huge, in my mind, 
load of pressure has been lifted off of this franchise that's been hanging over them now for the last two years. That's completely gone. Now it's just go play. Just go play. Just go play and draft defense. You don't have any money to spend, so draft nothing but defense. Couple offensive linemen and the entire rest of the draft. Your first, your first five picks should be the best defensive players available at any possible position. Their secondary is hideous. They need to get youth in the secondary, and they need defensive line. The linebackers underachieved last year, but at least they still have two very good linebackers. They must improve that secondary. They must. I, my, my first two draft picks are defensive are, are in the defensive secondary if I'm, if I'm the Cowboys. If I can afford anybody in free agency, if I can possibly fit it in, so be it. But I'm drafting secondary, defensive line, secondary, defensive line, secondary, defensive line. And maybe if I can find a couple of guys, which you usually find, you know, in the fifth, sixth round that can help you on the offensive line in terms of depth, I go there. But it's got to be defense, defense, and more defense. Yep. There's no need to add anything to that offense. Not a thing. I agree. That's what they need to do. And for those of you that might be worried about Jerry Jones' checkbook, he's looking ahead at the TV money that's going to come in for the next contract. He'll be more than okay. He'll be more than okay. There's your football fix for the week as it always goes. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, for my partner, the great John Tiny Lund, I am Al Renato, a.k.a. Al from White Plains. Enjoy the beginning of March Madness and have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.